Welcome to Into Security, Info Security Magazine's podcast. Hello and welcome to Into Security, the Info Security Magazine podcast. I'm Dan Raywood, contributing editor of Info Security Magazine. And I'm Michael Hill, acting editor. Uh, delighted you've joined us for today's podcast, which is sponsored by Akamai, providers of intelligent threat protection that comes with over 300 security researchers. Uh, learn more about Akamai, that's A-K-A-M-A-I dot, uh, dot com slash security. Akamai, intelligent security starts at the edge. So to kick us off in today's podcast, we're going to take a quick look back at some of the top news stories so far this week. Yeah, the, the big story um, from the week came on Thursday, the mor- Thursday morning, 11th of April, when Julian Assange finally emerged from the Ecuadorian embassy after almost seven years. Um, it was an interesting one because he has been charged under uh, computer misuse uh, indictment in the US um, for conspiring with Chelsea Manning and also for a US warrant issued in December 2017. Um, It seems that the Ecuadorian government just got tired of him essentially and withdrew their asylum officer and there were lots of videos around of him basically being dragged out of the Ecuadorian embassy in Knightsbridge in London when police were allowed to enter it and and arrest him. He later appeared in court in Westminster um, to face the charges and who we are kind of, uh, I guess, maybe 18 hours on. We don't know a huge amount more, but there's lots of calls going around about freedom of press. You know, ultimately, he counts himself as a journalist. Um, he counted what WikiLeaks did with the diplomatic cables leak in, leak in 2010 to um, have been acts of journalism. So people are out there saying about freedom of speech and also what it means for the future of WikiLeaks. So you know, it's very much still a story in its kind of infancy. It's quite an interesting one that we'll be keeping an eye on here in food security in the next uh, few days. Yeah, it's an interesting one. Then obviously there's the angle where, in, in in some regard, he's seen as you know quite a hero, I, I guess, with with some people. But then uh, the other side, the other side of the coin is that you know he what he did was, was breaking the law. So there are a lot of people that, that think that this um, this move that the um, that's been taken by the UK government and and of course the Equatorian uh, government as well is, um, is, is has long been overdue. It's going to be interesting to see what happens. Obviously, there's a discussion surrounding whether um, he will be um, forced to, to go back to the States. Um, there's also an issue, I think, swimming around uh, in Sweden as well. There's an allegation, quite a serious allegation made against him there. Um, obviously, we don't know at the moment exactly how that is going to pan out, but it, it was certainly a big piece of news that did break, and it'll be interesting to, to see how that um uh, develops over the coming uh, days and weeks, really. Well, the other thing about him is he's an Australian national, so he's, I believe uh, that he entered the UK as a visitor um, back in many years ago. So he's overstayed his visa by some years, and um, maybe he'll be indicted back uh, to the uh, to Australia. Uh, who knows? It, it's a bit, of un- a bit of an unclear future for Julian Assange right now. Yeah, absolutely. Um, okay, then another piece of news uh, that, that, that broke this week was that an Essex man was jailed for over six weeks uh, for his part in a global multi-million pound ransomware conspiracy. Uh, it was a 24-year-old man from Barking. Uh, he was believed to be part of a Russian-speaking organised crime group, uh, believed to be linked to the Lurk group that is thought to have created the infamous exploit kit Angler. Uh, he was using the online moniker King, that's uh, K-I-N-G, but the I is an uh, upturned exclamation mark, um, and he's said to have posed as a legitimate online advertising agency in order, in order to buy ad space for pornographic websites. Um, obviously, those ads were seeded with malware, infecting users who clicked on uh, uh, who clicked on there, and um, 
He actually admitted to 11 offences, including blackmail, fraud, money laundering and computer misuse, and was jailed at Kingston uh, uh, Crown Court. Uh, National Crime Agency Senior Investigating Officer Nigel Leary described the man's, uh, the, the group that he was working for as one of the most sophisticated, serious and uh, organised cybercrime uh, groups that he'd actually come across. Um, he, he went on to say the man was an integral part of this organised crime group, generating millions of pounds in ransom payments by blackmailing countless victims and threatening them with bogus police investigations. Uh, Dan, what do you think? I mean, obviously this was uh, this was actually covered on mainstream news. I think I, I actually come across this on, 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 on BBC or ITV, one of the two. Um, I think it sets a real precedent that this kind of uh, activity is just not going to be tolerated by the uh, UK police and... UK government. Yeah, it, it's interesting that he um, yeah, he was from Essex. Nothing against people from Essex, but he uh, yeah, you, you would you always kind of assume these nation state or these are going to be nation state attackers rather than someone um, you know more local. But it, the thing is, it, is it going to act as a, as a deterrent almost because he has been caught. He's been no, actually, you could argue the sentence. Um, I think uh, oh, six years. Sorry, it's actually quite a significant sentence. Uh, Eleven offences uh, for six six years. So it's quite significant. But uh, you've got to have much of a deterrent. It is because there's so many threats and so many attacks, and how many people are actually caught. And as, like you said, there, the NCA said um, one of the most sophisticated, serious, and organised that they'd come across. There's probably a lot more out there that just haven't been caught yet. Yep, absolutely. Okay, Dan. What else was new in the news this week? Well, it's a week of, of government news and, and legal news. Um, the Home Office, they had a, a data breach. They reported these from um, from April, the 7th and 8th of April. They had a bad couple of days um, because they had two administrative errors, uh, sending emails that revealed quite a lot of people's personal email addresses when they failed to use the BCC box. Um, the 7th of April, um, they did this with uh, personal email addresses of a number of people. And then on the 8th of April, it was with 500 members of the Windrush generation. These, of course, if you're unfamiliar, are the people who came to the UK from uh, the Caribbean looking for work back in the 1950s, I believe. And uh, as a result, that their, their children were never registered here uh, as citizens. And um, it's subsequently been found out and they're being dealt with to actually try and get their uh, their. Uh, you know, legitimacy confirmed, and um, someone who was dealing with this decided to email 500 people and tell each other who they are. So it's it's quite an interesting one because you could argue are these people vulnerable um, to an extent? Yes, yeah, you know, we're now talking about people, children of the 1950s. They're probably probably now in their 70s, 60s, and 70s. So uh, you know, th- these these aren't people who maybe are working anymore, for example, so they might see an email from the government and be a bit less cagey, they might think it's something I need to react to. If someone, of course, spearfishes them, if they got hold of that list, so it's a, someone out there could have a honeypot of, what, 500 members of a, a, particular, gener- of a particular generation group, and as a result, someone could, could email them all saying, oh, here's how to get some money back from the government. And, of course, that leads you to the sort of thing that Michael was just talking about with the ransomware. So, yeah, it, it's a bit tricky if someone were to be able to scam that list. But, uh, yeah, a couple of problems for the Home Office in a couple of days. It's not particularly good. Yeah, absolutely. And um, moving away from the uh, government side of things now, uh, a bit of research uh, was released this week. Uh, positive Technologies... Uh, some research regarding industrial control systems. They actually discovered that um, the number of new uh, 
vulnerabilities in ICS systems grew by 30% between 2017 and 2018. Uh, so in total, they came across 257 vulnerabilities um, in 2018, which is 30% higher than uh, the year before. Uh, also, the share of critical and high severity vulnerabilities increased by 17%. Uh, just touching a little bit deeper on some of the stats. 58% uh, of vulnerabilities allowed attackers to have more than one impact on a device, compromising its confidentiality, integrity and availability. In only 4% of cases, the difficulty of the attack was uh, uh, was assessed as, as high. Um, ICS... Uh, Control systems, Dan, uh, yeah. CNI, certainly something we're seeing a lot of recently. Um, seems to be ongoing vulnerabilities, uh, you know, surrounding these kind of control systems. You don't really seem to be tackling the security issues in them particularly well. Would you agree? I definitely agree. I think uh, you see there 220,000 or more than 220,000 components were discoverable online. There are... Uh, concepts like showdown which you can use to try and discover these kind of things so in a way you might say that's not surprising but that statistic was 27 percent higher than in 2017 so it's gone up also yeah the high number of critical and high severity vulnerabilities increased by 17 percent so yeah there are other lot out, lot out there i just wonder you know how much is being introduced is it all is it iot based stuff is it kind of smart meter stuff or are we just in a generation of people now who are looking, because of bug bounces and stuff like that, where people are looking for bugs more and vulnerabilities more, um, that we're finding more of these things, in which case it's a good thing. Also, I think that, yes, we probably don't have here, and this is good that it's come from positive technologies and not someone more nefarious, is that this they found this stuff, so hopefully they'll be you know fixing it or helping the, the companies fix them. So you could argue it's a little bit of a good news story, but uh, in a way it's, it's a bit of both, really. Sure, yeah, absolutely, totally. Okay, well, there was some... Um Quick fire uh, bits of news for you from this week that we felt were some of the top news that we'd seen. Uh, but now we're going to have a few words from our sponsor today, Akamai. This year, we've taken a month by month journey, diving deeper into the stories behind the stories of 2018. From that record breaking February attack to threats like credential stuffing and ever present phishing attempts. These all remain critical pieces to the security landscape we face as we look ahead to 2019. And looking ahead is exactly what we'll be doing, evolving with threats as threats evolve. Okay, fantastic. Some great words there from our sponsor, Akamai. Okay, we're going to take a bit of a shift now, and we're going to look at a, uh, a top trend that seems to be doing the round in the industry at the moment. Um, credential stuffing. Um, there's been a lot of reports, a lot of uh, stats come out recently, uh, or over the last few months, about um, an increase in credential stuffing attacks impacting companies, and it's actually uh, considered a really top threat at the moment. Uh, I don't think it's a new threat, but there does seem to have been uh, a real upsurge recently, well, going by the research we're seeing, that um, credential stuffing is having a bit of a, well, a lot of growth. So uh, what is it? Um, well, essentially, it's the use of automated tools to crack open accounts using stolen passwords. It's kind of a brute force attack which relies on the staggeringly large volumes of breached usernames and passwords flooding the dark web today. I kind of see it, Dan, as the kind of weaponization of data, um, you know, usernames, logins, credentials being used uh, uh, for further attack, I guess. Yeah, it's the different here from just a standard brute force attack 
and I'll come to a, an example in a moment, is like you said there, there are large volumes of, of credentials flooding the dark web today. So this is actually legitimate passwords of people that are actually have been leaked. Now we've seen some massive data breaches. We can think back to Yahoo of 500 million. We can think back to LinkedIn and Adobe and, and many others. I think I remember one on Indian website last year with a billion uh, accounts lost, which sounds incredible, really. But... Um, the case I can think of when I think of brute force attacks is the iCloud attack. Now, I've got a feeling it was reported in about 2014. It happened a few years earlier. And that, I think, what, if I recall rightly, rightly, what happened there was the attacker was able to just use dictionary-based brute force attacks. So they see whoever secured their iCloud account with a regular word, let's pick podcast as a word, and they used that word to... Um, as their password they were able to get in however these this is different i think because it's actually using legitimate usernames and passwords and they're obviously down on, on now on the dark web you use those to get into these services so that's i guess where the difference of credential stuffing is but yeah like you said it is it's it is weaponization of, of legitimate data that's been breached and is available yeah absolutely and some interesting research actually from akamai uh released recently um they did uh, some work looking into the wide-ranging uh, wide credential abuse attacks against online video and music streaming services. Um, they actually uh, uh, found one of the largest credential uh, stuffing attacks against streaming services in 2018, ranging in size from 133 million to 200 million attempts, took place shortly after reported data breaches. Now that indicates that hackers were likely testing stolen credentials before selling them. So it gives a little bit of an insight into exactly how, how attackers go about a credential stuffing attack. Mm. It seems to be that they go, uh, go about testing them first before looking to sell them on. Um, what seems to me is um, stolen credentials can be used for a, a, a host of purposes, I guess, um, not the least of which is enabling non-subscribers to view content via pirated streaming accounts. So it does seem to be that video streaming services is uh, a particularly popular target when it comes to uh, credential stuffing. I think just looking at the re research here, actually, I'm finding this this bit here. It says that nefarious actors tap automated tools to to use stolen login information to attempt to gain access to user accounts. So it's on the assumption that consumers use the same login and password for multiple services. We'll come back to some best practice uh, in a moment. But the report spotlights, you know, Akamai researchers have discovered easily accessible online video tutorials. Now, these uh, these provide step-by-step -step instructions for executing credential stuffing attacks. Uh, these include all-in-one applications to validate stolen or generated credentials. Uh, what's quite interesting there is that these videos are, you know, do turn up on, on likes of YouTube and Daily Motion, And actually, it, they're not really illegal because they're kind of used for education and you know we, we're in an industry of, of research and um, ethical hacking so it's, it's not that bad a thing really but it's uh, some people might raise questions when these actually are being weaponized so um, it's tricky and they also list that the US is the top country of origin for the attacks followed by Russia and Canada however the US is also the top target followed by India and Canada so yeah it, it's it's quite a serious thing because um, the most sort of targeted uh, verticals were media, gaming, and entertainment companies, which saw 11.6 billion attacks between May and December of 2018. So, yeah, it, it's not kind of something to brush under the carpet like we have done before with maybe brute force attacks. Yeah, absolutely. I think that, again, that, that, that the fact that it's such a high target on the streaming services, you know, they're so popular now, I guess attackers know that, you know, who, who doesn't have, uh, you know, at least one streaming service that you, you know, you log into regularly. Most people have probably probably used, you know, several uh, 
on a weekly basis. So, I, again, I guess it, it shows attackers are going where they know they can get hold of the information they want. Um, so, credential stuffing, a few kind of uh, tips that we've um, looked into in terms of defending against it. Like I say, it's not necessarily a new threat. It has been around, but it does seem to have come to the fore quite a bit more recently. Uh, so one thing um, that is good to do uh, is good password management, as is often the case, uh, but it's often the easiest and most simple way to prevent such attacks uh, occurring. So obviously, avoid reusing uh, passwords across um, different uh, devices or different services, different loggings, and, and adding another layer of security by using multi-factor authentication. Yeah, and also look for browser plugins, which can be used to alert users if they input credentials that have been detected to be in data breaches to limit further compromise. Um, onus is not just on the individual's concern, but also organisations have a duty to ensure they're implementing sufficient protection measures. So, um, yeah, a bit of responsibility on each side, I think, really. Yeah, sure, absolutely. Okay, uh, that's credential stuffing. Uh, obviously, we'll be touching on further industry trends and topics in, in, in further uh, podcasts. But now, we've got a couple minutes left, so we're going to have a look at what we'll be doing next, InfoSecurity Magazine. So we are hard at work on uh, the Q2 print issue, uh, which we will be publishing uh, early to mid-May. got some really fantastic features lined up for that. One on credential stuffing, actually, so you can learn a bit more uh, about that particular topic. We're also going to be taking a look at the security risks surrounding mergers and acquisitions, something which came to light during the uh, Marriott uh, Starwood uh, breach. Also, we're having a look at the role that neurodiversity can play in cybersecurity. Some really interesting findings there, particularly looking at you know the current skills gap and the issues that we have with unfulfilled jobs. Also, there'll be um, hearing from experts uh, on, on, on how to uh, master SIM in the modern enterprise and also uh, get some insight on the role that phishing testing can play in raising uh, security awareness. And the other big thing coming up for us is uh, our State of Cybersecurity reports. Uh, this should be coming out in about mid-May, so we're taping here sort of mid-April, so another month or so to wait for that. Uh, but uh, this is a step on from last year's where we did this for the first time. Um, I'm currently busy, I've been busy talking to people and I'm busy writing these up, so you should be seeing those in, sometime in about mid-May, that full report, and also we'll be presenting that at InfoSecurity Europe, so do look out for that. Absolutely, very busy. Well... We're going to have to look to wrap things up there. So a big thank you uh, to you for uh, listening to the podcast. Make sure you do keep uh, stay tuned for further podcasts coming very soon. Obviously, a big thank you to our sponsors today, Akamai. Again, providers of intelligent threat protection that comes with over 300 security researchers. Learn more at akamai.com slash security. Akamai, intelligent security starts at the edge. Thank you for listening. Thank you. Welcome to Into Security, Info Security Magazine's podcast.